Canucks Central Friday. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. Feeling it in the air tonight at Rogers <laughs> Arena here in the mobile Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Yeah, you could hear uh, in the air tonight playing in the background there as the show started. We're here at Rogers Arena getting ready for the Canucks and the Blues. And good vibes continuing around the Vancouver Canucks. At. Everyone's feeling good. It's in the air. It's you in know, the air tonight. It That's is it. tonight. All the Alberta teams are losing. Canucks, Canucks are above 500. Four and two. They have, they have twice as many wins as losses <laughs> than losses. Facts only. Yeah. Uh, hey, listen, I'm, we're just here to provide the facts. <laughs> facts only. That's uh, that's exactly what we are here for. We'll get into a lot today. Um, Yannick Hansen will join us at 4.30. We have a mailbag, of course, coming up at 5 o'clock. Then we'll get you full in and ready for the game and the matchup against the St. Louis Blues tonight. Canucks going for a third consecutive victory. Um, you know, I know we've discussed a lot about the Canucks defense and what do you do with Quinn Hughes and Philip Peronick and how much are they going to be able to continue playing together I think the player that's been forgot about most in the defense mix so far this season is Ian Cole. And for me, Ian Cole is feeling like the right ad at the right time for the Canucks. The one-year deal, veteran player, has been to playoffs over and over and over again, won cups, has legitimate experience with Rick Tockett in Pittsburgh. Now, I know there's somebody yelling in their car right now listening live. The numbers, I know they don't look pretty, right? He's been on for a bunch of high-danger chances against and all this stuff, but that's not the sound of a goal against Ian Cole. No. Um, <laughs> the, uh, were they supporting your, uh, your <laughs> argument or – but really, since the day they signed this player, you could feel, and we talked to him the day that he signed, we talked to him again at training camp, you could feel the winning mentality that he brings to a locker room set. And you know, there was a quote today, and I want to get to it here. I mean, just hear the way that he spoke today at practice, being asked how well the team played in Nashville and, and all these positive things. Here's how Ian Cole responded to that notion. Yeah, um, you know, Nashville was a good game. We played well. Um, that being said, you're going to watch video this morning, and there was quite a few things that we did wrong or, or, or could do better. So, um, you know, like anything, we're going to try to stay level-headed and, and go about it as, um, you know, mature and objectively as possible and say, hey, there are still room. There's still room for improvement here. Um, you know, but, you know, there's there are things that we've been consistently trying to work at and get better, and, and those have gotten better, especially in the Nashville game. So, We'll focus on those things and, and, and hopefully uh, do that again tonight. They needed someone like this to bring a presence to the room, to add to the leadership group who's been through the grind of winning seasons and all of that. It's what I think Ian Cole brings most to this team. <laughs> I hit the post pretty well. That was good. That was good. It's what I think Ian Cole brings most to this team in that – this team has struggled with being level-headed at times, getting too up with the ups, getting too down with the downs, and here's a player that's been through those grinds and has felt like that presence 
was needed in this group, in this room for a long time. Yeah, I think it's been missing in general. I mean, they've had some guys that have brought elements of that over yeah. the years. And, you know, the, there was a lot made about culture carriers in the past for the organization. And I think it is important to have players that can provide, you know, a steadying presence, be good, uh, uh, you know, somebody who's good in the room and, and help with the leadership. But it all comes down to how much you're paying for it. Yep. You're paying Ian Cole $3 million for one year. And it's not- a lot... Three million for four years, like they did with Jay Beagle. Yeah, and you know Antoine Roussel, you know, and you know even Brandon Sutter to some degree in terms of the contract, right? And and perhaps even Eric Goodbranson, right? It's a lot. You're paying a lot for that being the ultimate quality in guys, oftentimes. Whereas with Ian Cole, you're bringing in somebody who's not only bringing a tangible impact on the ice. You can talk about this actually being something that's positive for the group. Now, I also do think. There seems to be more ownership being taken by the leaders of this team. We heard Tockett mention how they worked hard in practice. They're serious. They're, you know, they're, they're excited. They went from professional to business-like performance today. Precisely. So it's like you know, you're starting to see um, the want of being more professional. And I think when you start having success, and this is something he mentioned, the buy-in becomes easier, as we yeah. know, right? But it's also one of those things where you feel like you're being rewarded for being more professional, and then you probably want to carry yourself with more professionalism, right? And you want to be more business-like. You want to be like, you know what? Like, we just got to we got to really nail this down. And you know, and he also mentioned there's still things of their game they got to clean up. Ian Cole did, right? You go back and watch the tape, and you're like, we were good in Nashville, but there's still a lot we can improve on. And I think that's the approach you have to have. You can't be satisfied. And if the players at the very top are feeling feeling that way then it's nice to have an Ian Cole, but they're the ones that are going to lead the way. And I think having the examples, however, it just makes for a more serious room. Yep. And, and I think that's important. It is important. And, you know, to, to some of the, the examples uh, of the past that you mentioned and, and we talked about there, like Ian Cole is playing a very significant role on this team, right? Yeah. He's, without a shadow of a doubt, their third best defenseman right now. Now, you can use that as an argument to say – the wheels might fall off of this thing. Ian Cole's never played that big of a role on any of these winning teams that he played for. And, and you know, I'm somewhat here for that argument. We've talked about how the Canucks mm-hmm. definitely still do need to add another defenseman somewhere down the road. How much an Ethan Bear coming back might the even savior. help. The savior. Ethan Bear the savior. I, mean, I think we're building him up a little bit too much. <laughs> when Ethan Bear comes back, all your problems are solved. <laughs> I, I will say this about Ian Cole. His worst moments on the ice have come with the player who's maybe yeah. off to the slowest start with the Vancouver Canucks, Tyler Myers. Yeah, and we know we we outlined this a, a few games ago in terms of the discussion around, hey, the analytics are really bad for all these players, and it's like small sample number one. But then when we start digging into it, you know, if you want to point to the analytics and say Ian Cole has actually been worse than Tyler Myers. Well, it's just not true, especially yeah. when we start digging a bit deeper into, okay, why are his numbers bad? It's like, oh, yeah, he spent, he spent most of the time with uh, Tyler Myers. But outside of playing with Myers, and especially when, when he was playing with Hironik, he was actually very good. So it's one of those things where he's probably better than the numbers indicate, but he's also not going to be this you know number two defenseman, right? Yeah. It's really what you ask of him to do, and you can't ask him to do too much either. And that's the one thing you start worrying about if he starts playing 22 minutes a game consistently – 
he's just never been asked to do that. And are you asking him to do more with the puck than he should sometimes? And I don't think it's going to get there because I think he's a really smart player. And I think he's, and I think in general, like the coach mentioned, they've had a pretty favorable schedule. I know you made this point yesterday about, you know, having yeah. for the goalies as well, but also for the players, it, it's okay for the coach to maybe overplay the guys a lot. I mean, because so far, the Canucks have played six games. Many teams have played seven, eight, or nine yeah. so far in the season. They've had the two season. days off between games. Yeah. Quite often. Yeah. Right, like, and, and that gives your players an extra little time to recover if you're going to run them, redline them at 27 minutes a night. And I think that's going to start coming down. And I think when that does, you probably see the numbers stabilize a bit and just how the team plays in general together. And do you have more options now with a guy like Mark Friedman there? Like, he's not this, you know, long-term solution, yeah. right? But in terms of some stability, do you have an option now where you can put him in a position where he's not with Myers all the time? Um, I, I feel as though, like, I don't know how long Mark Friedman can keep it up. <laughs> yeah. um, all due respect. But we just haven't seen it before from him, right? His... Uh, I think his career high in games played in a season is 25. So it's not exactly like you're putting a a tried-and-true defender in there next to, to Ian Cole, but the results have been better um, with Ian Cole and Mark Friedman together than they were with Ian Cole and Tyler Myers together. It, it's just it's provided a little bit more stability next to Ian Cole than what Tyler Myers was doing. So you run it while, uh, I guess – Arthur Smith would be proud of the Canucks for doing this, running the hot hand right. when it comes to Mark Friedman playing next to Ian Cole. Yeah, it's like if it's, it's like the Hughes and Heronic pair works right now. Yeah. You're not getting scored on. It's like you just keep riding it yeah. until it you know, shows your reasons for you not to ride it. And I think with the way they're using Cole, and even despite the fact that Heronic and Hughes played together a lot, they did play with other guys throughout the game as well the last couple of games. Yeah. So it really is by committee in terms of how they're doing it with deployment. It's by committee in terms of how often can we get guys out there with Hughes, Hronik, and, and Cole. That's kind of the game they're playing, right? Yeah. And I think if Susie starts you know, getting better and improving and you feel like he's more stabilizing, I think it makes it a bit easier to perhaps bring Cole's minutes down a little bit. But right now, they're doing it by committee in terms of let's just see how often we can get those three guys out on the ice. A uh, couple of texts coming in. I hear what Dan's trying to say. The Cole Horn is having none of it, though. Uh, Chris and Duncan. The Horn is Mike and Surrey trying to get his point across. <laughs> Mike and Surrey still catching strays from uh, from uh, those first couple of games. Um, and uh, this one, sound techs at Rogers Arena expecting some goals tonight from the sounds of it. We'll see. Uh, St. Louis Blues are in town. And, uh, well, Recent history says the Blues have had their way with the Canucks, at least in the regular season, as we know. This question, uh, as a follow-up on Myers, why did Myers regress so much this season? He's always been poor, but has been noticeably bad in a similar way to the way that Hughes has noticeably improved his game. I mean, I just think it's a bit of a continuation of what we saw last year, because I think the texture is right, and we've often had this discussion about Tyler Myers that he's not as bad as people make him out to be, especially the first couple of years. Like, he's problematic, but it's a big issue. The biggest issue is he's being asked to do a lot, and he plays a really tough role that he's probably not suited for, but he's the best option the team has. Yeah. And I think that also shades it. It seems like there's a confidence issue now, Dan. Mm. That's what it seems like to me. Because we know he's he has certain issues with you know because of his length there's some awkwardness he gets you know caught up sometimes you pass the puck too much in his skates he's not going to be able to pick it up like yeah. there are some issues he has with his length that make it a bit awkward but he's making 
low percentage decisions that he wasn't making at this degree before. Yeah. And he he seems like he has no confidence on the puck. It's like every play he makes, he's you see the tentativeness in his game, which shows you he's not confident in how he's approaching things. Hesitation is killer. Exactly. And he had a poor year last year. And it seemed like, hey, maybe he goes to the world championship. They win a gold medal. He feels better, better vibes. And it just seems like that that's a, it's a continuation of not having that confidence. And can they build it back up? Yeah. You know, playing him 13 minutes a game, he's not going to have a lot of moments where he does make mistakes, right? It won't be tough minutes that he plays. Can he play a couple clean games and gain some confidence maybe? I mean, that's, that's being hopeful because yeah. it, it's been really rough. It, it has been really rough. and. Look, there's a couple of things probably at play here. Um, there seems to be, like, especially the, the Tampa game, the, the decision he made with the puck. Yeah. The confidence issue. Um, it, can you be low on confidence? How do you trust this player right now? You know, he's always been a guy that, that pinches, and, you know, his decision-making on some of those pinches has always been somewhat questionable. But yeah. as he's gotten older, has he lost half a step? And now it's even tougher for him to make those reads because – He's making that pinch and not winning that battle, and the Canucks are getting, you know, crushed because of it. Yeah, I think that's part of it. Yeah. I, I think it's – I don't think he's quite as fleet as he was, obviously, because he, he he's, did he's move. He's a pretty good skater for he a big is. man. His biggest know? issue is his burst, right? Yeah. It takes him a while to get going. Once he gets going, he's fine, but it's more like that, that quickness, short area quickness. He doesn't quite have it, and the game is getting faster, and I think – that's where he has the most issues is outside on guys and, and not being able to react quick enough. And you don't gain explosiveness. You lose explosiveness over yeah. time. Um, so just to answer that uh, text, 650-650, keep those coming in on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. We'll get to more questions. And, of course, we do have the mailbag coming up after 5 o'clock today if you are listening live. Um, Ilya Mikheyev. Two games, he's got a goal and an assist in those games, and the top line has sprung to life. More importantly, Andre Kuzmenko has played his best two games of the season as well since Ilya Mikheyev came back. Is he the uh, magic potion? for he's the Il- elixir. <laughs> he might be, right? Yeah. Because Kuzmenko has looked like a different player, and it's not just because Mikheyev's coming back. I mean, I think that's oversimplifying it, but I do think it plays a big part into it. And just in general... They've just missed his impact on the ice. Not only his pace, but how smart he is, right? How effective he is in the offensive zone, how good his speed is at closing things down. We haven't seen the defensive impact yet. We talked to Harm about this quite at the level where he's able to show it. And and that burst, I think we have to be honest and say he's coming off an ACL. He's looking good right now, but it's probably going to take at least another six months, eight months, maybe a year for him to fully get back to the pace he was at before, yeah. you know? And that's usually what happens with ACLs. It, you don't quite get it all back right away. Some guys are freaks. We saw it in the NFL, right? We've seen it before where they do. But oftentimes, it's a bit of a process. So that may take a bit of time. But they just, I think, really need that type of player. Like, to me, Ilya Mikheyev's a core player. Yeah. Because I think the impact he can make and how he impacts the game in different ways than just you know providing points is something this team needs more of, and I think frankly there aren't enough players like that around the league that are that good at doing multiple things. They haven't even used him on the penalty kill yet, limiting uh, his minutes, still easing him in uh, yeah. after the injury. And Rick Tockett knows that that's another maybe ace in the hole that he has as the season goes on to use on the PK because that was a, like where a ton of his value came uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs is being 
you know, a, a speedster on the PK mm -hmm. that could uh, be, you know, smart defensively, but also wreak havoc offensively because he can you know, create a turnover and cause a power play to be on their heels going back the other way. Those are things that Ilya Mikheyev we haven't necessarily seen because he played all of last year with the knee injury, and the burst was was never really where it was before he signed his four-year deal here in Vancouver. Yeah, I mean, because he was dealing with that knee injury since training camp, yeah. right? So he didn't, you know, he never was able to kind of get that all the way back. And it's going to take some time before you see all the impacts uh, as far as the speed and the PK side. But I think what's most encouraging is what he can do five-on-five five for that line. And I think what it also does in so many different ways – because you have had PDG being that guy, obviously without the same pace and overall impact with Miller and Besser, and having Mikheyev be that guy, all of a sudden, like, your spine of your top six is kind of back. Yeah. And the fact that it allows Garland to move down, it's just one of those pieces. I think he's one of those chess uh, board pieces that once you put him in, it, like, puts everything else back in place a little bit. I yeah. think Garland going down with Suter all of a sudden, because they don't want to, you know, have him with the top line anymore, it gave him a credible third line that went out there and actually was able to dictate play, have some zone time in the other end. They weren't getting that before. So I think having him back not only solidifies that line with how they want to play in terms of also having the identity of the team, you know, have a stronger spine in how they play, but it also allows everybody else to fall in place and, and play a different role. And I don't think it's a coincidence that since he came back, the team has looked far better. Yeah. It, the point about Garland moving down I think is maybe the biggest impact that McKay has made. Garland got shout out by the coach today. Yeah. Played really well on uh, the other night against the Nashville Predators. Was uh, playing in the final 30 seconds of the game to help close that out for the Vancouver Canucks. So a ton of uh, trust shown by the coach in Connor Garland, who the coach said, I need to get more minutes for Garland if he keeps playing like that garls is uh, the actual term he used but um why have the canucks been able to not get blown off the shot clock these last couple of games their bottom six has played better yeah why is their bottom six played better well you put connor garland down there now you have a little somebody who can drive possession keep pucking the offensive end a little bit more you're not you know one and done just dumping it giving possession back trying to get a line change and then you know the cycle starts all over again yeah. there's less pressure on the top six to actually create all of the offense for this team because now I know they haven't generated a ton like in terms of high danger chances yet, but if they're spending more time in the offensive zone, that's an inevitability. Well, absolutely. I mean, and just take the zone time. I mean, it's like shortening the game in football sometimes, yeah. right? Like you don't, you don't want to have too many possessions. You want to limit it sometimes on teams that have good defenses. And I think the same thing here when you know you're not going to be able to go out there against every opponent and create chance after chance, you have to limit the events, yeah. you know, in terms of low event hockey, right? So you don't want to have as many. But also when you're spending more time in the other zone, it's less time where goals are getting scored on you. It's less time you're putting pressure on your defense, less time you're putting pressure on your goaltender. And when those players all of a sudden do face tougher moments, they're better prepared to handle them instead of being under siege consistently. It just makes such a big difference. One of the biggest things about the Sedins that made them so dominant early on wasn't just the fact they would create chances and score. In their prime, 90% of their shifts were being spent in the offensive zone. Yeah. Like they never spent time in their own zone. And just the amount of pressure and stress that would put on the opposition, right? You're going to tire teams out by doing that. And especially against teams that are kind of mediocre, you can snuff them out. You can really like make life difficult for them like they did against the National Predators. And that's 
sort of the idea, I think, in the way that the Canucks have been built this year? I don't think there's – well, we know for sure. They're, the, the front office knows that there's some imperfections in the way that their salary cap dollars are allocated. But what are you supposed to do? Just, like, give up and be like, okay, I guess we're just going to suck while these contracts run out. No. Well, how do we – how do we make this work with what we've got? And we'll try to continue to make changes as time goes on. And it seems as though their idea is, well, maybe let's run four lines. Can we create, can we find a way to create four lines that we come at teams in waves where, yeah, okay, we've got a guy in Anthony Beauvillier making $4 million on our fourth line, and we've got Connor Garland making near $5 million on our third line. It's not ideal, but can it help us? in some way, and yeah. I think that's at least the idea, the theory behind how this could work for the Canucks this year. Yeah, and I think that's the, the really only workable way that you have. Now, when Teddy Bluger comes back and people are asking about Bluger, what's his status, uh, he still has not skated after his injury. The coach said the other day that he's, he's, still, he's close to skating and he's going to have to have a few skates before returning, so maybe don't expect him on this homestand. Because yeah. if he didn't skate today, I have a hard time seeing him um, get in even on Tuesday against Predators. So maybe when they come back from San Jose, yeah, against Stars, maybe. So uh, that that you know, week to week, it would be about three weeks at that point. Yeah. So I mean, if he starts skating by say you know Sunday or Monday, or gets if we know he skates on his own, let's say, then maybe there's a chance he plays later next week, next Thursday. But I yeah. still say you're probably waiting until the next time they're back home. I believe there was a shot that he blocked in the. Uh final preseason game that uh, may be the cause of what is ailing Teddy Bluger, but that's another player you add to the penalty kill, another player you add to your bottom six, can take some heavy lifting off of JT Miller, who, as we've outlined, has done so much work in the defensive zone and against Tufts this year. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, to the point you were making earlier, too, I think in terms of Garland going down to the third line because, you, you know, it stabilizes that line, but it's also the best role for him, I think. I think he, he would hate to hear it, you know, be, the, be yeah. the leader of a third line, but it's like you can do whatever you want. Go and do your spins, right? Go and, yeah, like, yeah. get in the offensive zone, create some chances, you know, be tough to play against, gain some chemistry, but, like, it's, you're the guy. Like, it's your line. It's, yeah. you, go, you go out there and do whatever you want to do. And I think he'd, he'd thrive in that type of role. Again, you don't want to pay $5 million for it, but do, it's about doing the best you can with it. And I think Niels Hoaglander is similar. Like, you know, Tones was texting in saying, did you catch Hoag's comment about not really fitting in with PD and Kuz and his game being better suited to where he's playing now? Kind of similar. Like, he needs the puck on his, uh, on his stick oftentimes to be successful. Yeah. You're not gonna, you shouldn't have it too much with those guys. But if you can be the focal point offensively on that fourth line and you can be steady defensively, well, now you're providing something. You know, and, and it may not exactly be what they want ideally, but for the greater good and in terms of having four lines you can roll with, theoretically, that's the best way forward. It's like Garland, you can dominate on your line. Hoaglander, you can start gaining ownership and, you know, uh, confidence being, you know, yeah. an offensive focal point on one line. Then maybe you can start, you know, piecing it together. Can you build more lines that win their matchups? And the Canucks haven't had enough of that in the last couple of years. You maybe had Elias Pettersson doing it, but beyond that, you didn't have enough lines winning their matchups on a night-to-night -night basis. Or even break even. Yeah. Or, like, if you're losing, you're just losing. Yeah. You know, like, it, it's so – you know what? Sometimes we always talk about, like, you know, average and below average and bad. Like, sometimes slightly below average is okay because the alternative, yeah. like, it's so much worse. And it's not about that being acceptable, but it's it makes a big difference going from – really bad to just slightly bad or just slightly below average. 
Uh, it's San Richo and Satyar Shah. Busy day coming up. We've got Yannick Hansen coming in. Uh, what does he think of how the Canucks are trending right now and that performance against the Nashville Predators the other nights? It's all coming up. Canuck Central from Rogers Arena on Sportsnet 650. Canuck Central in the mobile Kintech studio. Yes, we are here at Rogers Arena, site of uh, the Canucks returning home after a five-game roadie. They went 3-2 and two on the road trip and uh, returned back home for their second game of the season in front of their home fans. Our next guest, Yannick Hansen, played uh, many a game here at Rogers Arena. This Insider is brought to you by the Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. Yannick, the start. The Canucks are off to a good start. It's all anybody can talk about in this city. Yeah, it's nice change the scenery for from the last couple of seasons, that's for sure. Um, this time last year we were out of it. We were talking about uh, tanking, and I don't know what. Uh, things were burning down, so it's definitely <laughs> nice to see a uh, breath of fresh air to uh, not having to be talking about all that negative stuff. Uh, it, it does get a little little bit tedious. I, I know the market and, and the media and stuff like that, but uh, it's nice to see, and it's good to see them coming away with wins that in the past they, they would have found a way to lose these games. Uh, the last one in Nashville, that would have been a prime example of them having a, a okay, decent road trip, um, but but now you're, you're turning it into a great road trip instead. Well, especially the, the Nashville game. You know, they have those two penalties they take late in the third period with a one-goal lead. We know what the penalty kills looked like the last couple of years. It would have been, you know, guaranteed that they, they give up that lead in those moments. It it showed at least a real sign of progress for me. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It, it's it's pretty much everywhere there, there's improvement. We're still seeing these individual mistakes. Um, but, but again, like everything from D-zone coverage to penalty killing, uh, not cheating, not, not, not looking for offense that aren't there. They, they've cleaned up a lot of it, and it has turned out to, to put some points on their on their boards where in the past, uh, yeah, it would have been a, exciting games and a couple more goals. Instead of instead of winning 3-2 in, in Nashville, you, you, you lose 5-4, something like that. Um, but then again, you've you got to be able to... Uh, to, to simmer it down a little bit and play, yeah, it, it might be a little bit more boring than we've seen in the past when it was a lot of high-flying back and forth, uh, two-on-ones, three-on-twos, uh, here and there and everywhere. But but it, it's impossible to win on a consistent basis in the NHL when you're playing like this. So you have to be able to talk to Big on Tuesday and uh, talk its message was we need a business-like approach to that game. And that's what it was. It, it wasn't a flashy, fancy game. No, it was a game where we need to go out and we need to get a result um, no matter what it takes. And they got the result. And, and you don't care what it looks, who scored, how it got done. All we need to do is we need to go out and we need to make sure if we can get the two points. And is it a lot easier to make it more consistent when you have success to begin the season and you're doing the right things? It's the only way to do it because it is like you as a player, you, yeah, you want to win and everything, but, but you also want to be producing, you want to feel good about yourself. And those two goes hand in hand. But when you're seeing the result come beforehand, if you will, then it's a lot easier to say, okay, I'm, I'm just going to chip this one out uh, and then go about the next one because you're seeing the result, you're seeing the, the fruit of the labor, if you will, where 
when you're chipping the puck out and you're not getting your offense and you're losing at the same time, you're like, oh, well, might as well try to make a play, see if we can create some offense here. Um, so it's a chicken and the egg. It's very, very hard um, to play the right way, do the right things when, when things are going wrong. Um, so right now they, they have that benefit of they started out very well. They, they got off to a fantastic start. You beat Edmonton 8-1 and everybody is, is celebrating. So, so now already you're, you're feeling kind of good about yourself. A lot of guys got involved here. Um, you hate as a player individual seeing that zero next to your name when the season starts. You want to get that away as, as quick as possible. I know I'm talking individual right now, but, but it is still wearing on players. Like we want to score that first goal. We want to, we want to have that first assist to kind of like now we're in individual as well. And yeah, it's more important that the team are winning. But, but once that kind of, gets taken care of then uh, then you can start and, and really buy into to everything and start uh, all these cliches uh, the team before myself and doing the right things and not cheating um, that that's a lot easier when things are going well you mentioned when guys haven't scored their first goals and there's a couple of guys like Anthony Bavillier so far hasn't scored his first goal now we know it's only six games in but is early in the season the toughest time to go without a goal because you have the zero next to your name you say six games, and and that's only say it's not only six games. Like you wanna, you wanna get that out of the way within the first three, because now it starts weighing on you slowly, and six turns into ten, and before you know it, it mm. it's a ginormous slump that everybody is talking about. So yeah, it's only in quotation six games, but it's not like you want that thing gone. And I know not everybody can score because we're not going to blow out teams uh, five ten nothing every single game. But but it is like you, you want your offensive guys, and yeah, I still count him as an offensive guy. Um, in that makes you you want them feeling good about themselves, um, being comfortable out there, um, having that feeling that the next time I'm I'm jumping over the boards, I, I'm going to produce, I'm going to create offense. Uh, we might not score, but it, it's right there when these game starts ticking away and six turns into seven to eight and so forth that's when they start doubting themselves a little bit and offense becomes a little harder to come by um i wouldn't say i'm cheating but i'm squeezing my stick a little bit now i'm looking for the perfect play instead because i really want to get this goal right now i really want to get going um and it is it's a slippery slope and it's hard to get out of once you're there you know, uh, the, the Nashville game, they were able to tilt the ice in, in the right direction more than they did uh, in some of the previous games this season. And uh, a big part of that was the bottom six. You know, Connor Garland playing there in the bottom six and, and that fourth line with Bavillier and, and, and Hoaglander as the wingers. They started to spend more time in the offensive zone. They weren't uh, one and done, as, as Rick Tockett put it today. I mean, how, how much does that help the the team in general when, you know, the, the bottom six lines can – even if they're not generating a ton of scoring chances, at least keep the puck on the right side of the red line. Yeah, it's it's easing pressure a little bit. Obviously, if they're scoring, that that's tremendous. Um, but just the fact that if you can have an offensive zone shift so that when PD or, or JT jumps over the board, that, that face-off is in the offensive zone. It might be off an icing. Um, it's always easier when you don't have to move the puck 200 feet before you can start creating offense. Um, so anytime you can have that wave after wave mentality and, and we just come all over the boards and, and we're recycling, we're having a offensive zone shift, the next uh, lineup, they, they can almost smell it. They're like, yeah, we're, we're going to get one now. So you, you have this thing that kind of 
breeds off of each other. And you can't have that without this four-line team that everybody is talking about. It's great and all when you have a strong top six that's producing. The problem becomes when the other six jumps over the board, then it's a breather for the other team. So you want to have this uh, this mentality that, that everybody is contributing, everybody is, is doing something. And I get it, the fourth line can't make plays like the top line can. But but they can get it in deep. They can forecheck. They can get pucks to the point, uh, point shots with traffic, um, hound those pucks, fight for rebounds, scrums, all those little things that are so taxing for for opposing defensemen because they they don't want to be fighting um, uh, the, the, those guys in front of the net, boxing out the uh, Dakota Joshua. No, they they'd rather be on the defensive side of him and and have him defending. So when you can move these bigger bodies that tend to be in the bottom six up in the offensive zone, you're leaning on defensemen. Um, maybe you're, you're, you're hemming in their, their key guys for, for a shift or two, and, and they have to do things that aren't, that aren't fun to be, Frank. Well, and in terms of taking the ownership and kind of having serious mentality, one thing we're seeing from that JT Miller line is every single game, they start every game with a strong shift, it seemed like, even starting the second period with a, with a strong shift. We saw it against Nashville. Are you seeing a difference in, in how JT Miller is playing in terms of, uh, I'd say, his focus on the ice to start the year? Um, I don't I, like JT Miller and the team, I think, are two different things. So far in the beginning, he, he's playing the way he was towards the end of last year. There's no question about that. He, he's playing. He's earning his paycheck, if you will. The team, I, I still feel like you mentioned that they're starting good and all these things. I, 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 haven't, I haven't loved their start so far. They've come out a little slow. Um, they've come out, given up opportunities, taken penalties, given up goals. They found a way to come back. Don't get me wrong. But, but their starts as, as, a, as a unit, as a team, has still not been where I'd kind of like them to be. We, JT, yeah, they've had, but, but again, it, it would be nice if they're not kind of like a step behind a, a, as, a, as a group um, in the beginning. And that's been one of the, one of the, um, the things that I kind of like needs to be checked off in my book right now because they are doing a lot of things right but you still like them to come out and I get it. They've been on the road for five games and it's hard to come out to and control games. Uh, some of these games are um, opening nights and all these things. But again, starts are, are very important. Uh, you get off to a, to a good start. You're not feeding the, the building that you're playing in their fans and all these things. So it, it would be nice to see them lock that down over the next little bit while they're at home here to see if they can kind of do that to other teams. Yannick Hansen, our guest. Um, you know, one thing about the way the, the top two lines are structured, now that you have Mikheyev back and, and we know how uh, Phil DiGiuseppe has fit on that second line with Miller and Besser, like those two players, and I think the way Rick Tockett wants to structure each line is with one strong four-checker, a guy that really profiles as, as an F1 on each line that can get in hard on the four-check and, and win pucks. And the Canucks don't have a ton of those guys, but at least on – on those two lines, like it, it seems like they have that mix that they want. You're two skilled players with one good four-checker. Yeah, a lot of times it works out that way also because that uh, that skilled four-checker, if you will, is, is a little bit cheaper. Um, so they're easier to fit in with those skilled guys, and those skilled guys will find a way to to make him better. We, we've seen it so many times on so many different teams that a lot of people will have they will have two key guys, and then they'll pair them with somebody who will stir the pot, if you will, get in on the forecheck, uh, get pucks back, get in front of the net, uh, 
do all those little things that no no question they help the other two but but they are uh, those skill sets are a little bit easier to come by again you still need the chemistry with the other two guys but but it, it seems the way to go nowadays in the NHL salary cap and all these things there's only so much puck to go around out there as, as well so um it, it's good to see that uh, you're seeing this chemistry starting to to form and again mckeev has been a guy that uh, that they were missing last year there's no question about that he was brought in to provide uh, not not only that forechecking but also penalty killing he he's a fast skater he's tenacious uh, it's one of those things that that were lacking a little bit in the canucks lineup do you think that with what the Canucks have on the third and fourth lines with Connor Garland, I know Garland probably doesn't want to hear it, but is that the best place for him where he can be a guy that runs his own line because clearly he can't fit with either JT or Pedersen? Yeah, he, he's not he's not doing enough to kind of warrant that spot. Um, again, if he could find a way to uh, to anchor a third line uh, with Beauvillier, if that's it, then that would be... Uh, that would be a huge um, gain for the Canucks because those are two good players that when they jump over the board against other teams' third lines, they, they should find a way to tilt the ice in the, in the right direction. So hopefully they can find a way to, to get some chemistry with a, with a center and, and then start producing uh, some offense that, that you're kind of, oh, no, I'm gonna be, that you expect from guys that are making $5 million a year. Yeah, it's. Um, I think they need those guys to, to have success. You want to be able to, to rule all four lines. Now, the way we've seen it work on, on defense um, is running a lot of Quinn Hughes and Philip Ronick when you can get the chance. We even saw Ian Cole play 23 minutes. Uh, I don't know if it's the most sustainable of things to do, but you know, right now it's, it's pretty much what the coaching staff has to go with. Uh, how, how long can they keep running with uh, this type of deployment on defense? Yeah, it, it, it's again. They, that's where they were thin. They went out and got Susie and and, and Ian Cole, and, and that filled that filled some big spots. But there's still there's still holes. You'd love to see Tyler Myers to to start playing well because he is one of those guys that can put or that can push uh, Quinn and, and Haronic from 27 down to hopefully 23, 22 minute a night. Uh, but again, he he needs to he needs to play. He needs to play better in order for that to happen. Um, so you're you're looking to him to kind of be the solution to that problem right now, or at least his cap hit to be the the solution. Uh, I mean, you you have six million dollars allocated to to a defenseman. He should, in theory, be your second best defenseman, um, and that's that's really the problem. They have five very capable defensemen. Um, and right now there there's one that that's kind of lacking a little bit in terms of not delivering so if you can find a find a way to get him going um and and filling those minutes that then you can then you can pull some back from the other two uh, there's no question the way they're playing it's a very positive and it's good for them um how long is it sustainable um i i don't know um, you'd hate for them to do it for 82 games and then expecting them to uh, to just keep going through the playoffs when when teams will really start to lean on on the defensemen in that in that sense and they are not the biggest so they they will get punished uh, when when push comes to shove. How do you think? How, do you think that Quinn Hughes ha- is taking another step? Like, what are you seeing in his game so far? Yeah, he's controlling the the play now. Like, it's what. Uh, 
I, I was very, very fortunate to play on some phenomenal teams defensively. But until I until I landed in San Jose, I, I had never played with a number one defenseman. And watching him out there, you get a little bit envious because the way they can control the game when they step over the board um, and just they're out there for 30 minutes. And when they're out there, it's just it's just an easier night. Um, everything goes through them. Um, breakouts, getting out easy, offense, uh, you, you name it. So it's, it's fantastic to see and it, it's everything we could hope from him. Um, obviously, there was high expectation uh, from where he ended last year, breaking records, uh, getting the C and all these things. But yeah, for sure, he hasn't disappointed so far. As far as goaltending is concerned, it's clear the team really believes in Casey the Smith. What is it like when when you see the team believe in the backup goaltender? Yeah, the backup is, is kind of like... Um, it's it's a strange role because you, you you love these guys and and those are the ones that stay out late come out early taking all these one timers that your number one is not going to want to take um, so again when you see them do well you you're, you're extremely happy for them because you know all all the stuff they go through all the the bad shots the the, the bobbling puck that comes uh, by their neck um, and all these things and they just take them and try to make you better so when when you see a backup have uh, have success not only does it boost your confidence that it doesn't matter that your starter gets the night off and you, you're you're generally happy that this guy is is getting some much needed success and a little bit of time in the in the spotlight yannick we appreciate the time as always thanks for this yeah my pleasure take care uh there is uh yannick hansen and that insider brought to you by the magnuson auto group metro ford port coquitlam and magnuson ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. Um, always interesting from Yannick. Not uh, a very different tone on some of our previous early season hits with Yannick, given the Canucks uh, are not winless through their first six games. They have four wins, eight points banked already, Sad. Yeah, it's, it's encouraging. We've seen encouraging signs. And, you know, we, we talked a lot about confirmation bias early in the season, whether it's, you know, you're like, oh, same old Canucks. We've yeah. seen this before. Or it's us talking about their details being better and then they're exhibiting it at times. But I think now we're starting to see more a more of a trend, right? And I think when you start analyzing play-by-play, play, I think that's where it's most notable, when you're watching the games again and you see that they're trying to do the right thing and oftentimes are doing the right thing. Yeah. Their success in doing so hasn't quite been as good as you want it to be half the time. But it's still clear that there's a different level of detail yeah it's something they've needed right they needed to play more more detailed hockey they need to play better defensive hockey we've known all these things and some of the the numbers don't really match up uh with what my eye test to see you know and even again going through uh the stat sheet we get from sportsnet before every game it's like most high danger chances against number one San Jose Sharks with uh, I think 140. Yes, <laughs> and the Canucks are number two at 87. And it's like I, I get that they've had some games where they've been under siege a little bit. They've had stretches of games. You know, think of Tampa the the second period, the last 10 minutes of the, the second period against Tampa. But it hasn't felt that way. It hasn't seemed that way when you don't. 
Unless you're just looking at the numbers and are like, oh, look, same old Canucks. They're giving up a ton of chances. Again. Yeah, they're not giving up a ton of rush chances, yeah. right? They haven't. And what they're giving up, however, is like bad sequences, and you'll see it. And it's kind of funny because they've given up a few goal mouth sequences where the teams had two or three second chances. Yeah. And that just tallies up the high danger chances from in close, right? And I think once those start equalizing, which are, I think we're seeing the past couple yeah. of games, I think those numbers are going to come down dramatically, the, the high danger chances against. Because I can think of a couple of games there uh, against the Flyers specifically, and obviously uh, even against Tampa at times when numbers look, look a bit more skewed going the other way. There's a lot of goal mouth chances. Even against Edmonton, that second game, yeah, they, they, hang, they hung on for some parts. But remember that first shift yeah. where uh, they ended up scoring eventually? They had like five chances yeah. before they scored. And then the last ten minutes of the period, Edmonton barely got a sniff. Yeah. Uh, so they've had stretches of good, stretches of bad. And w when it's early in a season, you can you can tell yourself, you know, depending on whether or not you want to be optimist or pessimist, uh, okay, these are things that they can continue to clean up. You know, no team starts the season and is sharp right out of the gate, maybe unless you're the Stanley Cup champion Vegas Golden Knights who have still not lost a game this season. But – you can build on these things. Even offensively, like, okay, they've also had, like, the least amount of scoring chances created at 5-on-5. Five five. That, I think, is something that they still have to improve on. It's definitely something that they have to improve on, but is that something that comes with, you know, their game getting sharper all around? Or, as we saw in the Nashville game, you're starting to spend more time in the offensive end as – the rest of your game gets a little bit sharper. I think partially. My, my only question is, can they get inside enough, like the coach mentioned? Yeah. You know, are they built to do that consistently? And, and like, it's that's like, where you score the goals from. And it's like they have the heart and, like, they're trying and doing their best. But it's not – and sometimes it's not easy just to get there. It's not just the hard work. It's, like, how you play, how – you know, how quick you can be and how strong you can be to force your way in. And we know it's not the biggest team. So – I think the one thing to keep in mind is are, I think they can play that style and be safe and good and dependable. Can they do it and, and create enough offense five on five? But again, if even if you're, if you're able to be at standstill and you win the special teams battle, yeah, you know, you're still going to be competitive, especially with the goaltending that you have. And that's sort of the formula the Canucks are looking for. And I think they've deserved a few more power play opportunities, like Tone says. Not to mention uh, shifts in the offensive end. You know they usually lead to power play opportunities. They yeah. only had the one against Nashville. Um, this text coming in from James in Qualicum Beach, 650-650, is not having crazy starts usually a sign that they're playing a more structured system, less prone to fluctuations, different times of the game, including at starts. Uh, in reference to something we were talking about with Yannick as far as how the Canucks were have been starting games. Um, I think their professional approach is, you know, not just from a off-the-ice perspective. They don't want to get too highs with a couple of wins. They don't want to get too low with a couple of a couple of losses. I think it, it happened. You want that to filter through on the ice too. Like, oh, that was a crappy goal to give up. Like, well, don't turtle. Like, find a way to find a way to respond. And I think that's also where this team can grow as well have more of a backbone yeah you know and i think we've seen it at times and that's something that you know still they still have to show more of but it's been encouraging right dan in terms of what they've shown so far and there's a real opportunity especially yeah. with what we're seeing in this division already 
and it's like the, you know the, the quicker you trend in the right direction the more you take advantage of this right now it's just so much more favorable it's such a it's much a much more favorable position you're going to find yourself in as a team and all of a sudden if you can open up a seven eight point gap with calgary and edmonton like you can you have games in hand all of a sudden you know so it's like if you're able to take advantage of it early and get that real confidence going, I just think it's one of those things where we can't quantify, but those are the types of boosts that can really like help expedite your, your rise. Uh, we'll get to the mailbag coming up. Your questions for us here on Canucks Central on Sportsnet 650.